0: And as we get to Nehemiah chapter 8, just to give you kind of a a quick synopsis of it to get leading into, because uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9, I believe, go hand in hand. You you can't take one without the other. They they complement each other. Um, And so I think it's very important that we kind of go back and understand what is happening in chapter 8. In chapter number 8, we begin to see the revival of the nation of Israel. And Ezra gets up and he reads the book of the Law of Moses. And the people begin to be sorrowful, and he says, no, don't be sorrowful. God is doing some things here. He's bringing revival to the country. He's uh, allowing spiritual enlightenment and awakening to happen in our hearts and our minds. And uh, by the way, that's always a refreshing time, isn't it? When, when God just seems to open the heart, a door, and flood it with joy and with his presence. And this is happening in this uh, chapter. And so Ezra says, look... I know that that you're sorrowful for your sin, and there's some some times But He said, this isn't a day of that. This is a day of rejoicing, because God is doing some things here. And uh, the great statement in chapter number 8, I believe, and the key to that chapter is the verse that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And uh, the fact that uh, that is where we get a lot of our strength from, to continue on day by day. And so uh, as we get down towards the end of chapter number 8, and uh, let's start in verse number 16. The Bible says, So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, everyone upon the roof of his house, and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God, and in the street of the water gate, and in the street of the gate uh, of Ephraim. And again, uh, thinking of the gates of the city, the water gate was often a place where they would stand and teach or preach the law of Moses or the word of God that they had at the time. And uh, that was used to kind of instruct them and to purify them and to help see uh, some things that needed to be seen spiritually. And uh, the th- the key thing to me as we get to verse number 16 is that God's Word said it uh, earlier in the chapter. And by the time we get to verse 16, the Bible says, So the people went forth, and they did what the Bible said. And probably one of the greatest battles in our lives today is not knowing the Word of God, although I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of Christians today that don't know the Word of God. We don't read it enough, we don't study it enough, we don't memorize it enough, and there does need to be a revival, no doubt, of reading and studying and and knowing God's Word. But can I tell you this, that one of the great struggles day by day in our lives and one of the great battles that every one of us face is not knowing the Word of God, but in doing the Word of God and making that application and uh, living by its principles and living by what we know is dear to the heart of God, and, and we don't follow those things so that we can be a good Christian in the eyes of all of our friends. We live that way because we want to be pleasing to God, because we love Him with our hearts. We with, with all that He has done for us, we want to please Him, and so that's why we do it. If, if we're if our motivation is to uh, Take the Bible and try to live by it so that I can I can have everybody in the church look at me and say, Well, boy, he's really living by the Word of God. Can I tell you this? I'm gonna be the most miserable Christian you've ever met. I may be following what the Word of God says, but my motive is wrong. There's no love, there's no drive, there's no foundation there uh, that will cause me to have joy in what I'm doing. The joy comes in loving God and doing these things for his sake and not for the, the sake of others. So these folks are doing this, they're, they're rejoicing, they're uh, doing the word that they had heard uh, that they should be doing, that Ezra was reading. And verse number 17, and all the congregation of them that were come again out of captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto the day uh, had not the children of Israel done so. And there was gr- very great gladness. And by the way, anytime we do God's work and we're obedient to him, uh, because of the love that we have for Him, with the right motivation, there's always gladness there. Uh, there's times that we obey grudgingly, but it's because we haven't loved Him enough. We haven't we haven't done it in a, in a way that we are doing it because we love Him. We're doing it out of obligation. I, I for years, for years in serving the Lord, uh, I was frustrated. I, I uh, there were things about serving the Lord I enjoyed. There were some things about serving the Lord I didn't enjoy. And I didn't like them, and I I felt, boy, it's just a very difficult thing to do these things. And um, can I tell you this? The older we get and the closer we draw to the Lord, the more serving God becomes a great thrill to our lives. I mean, it's something we wake up in the morning thinking, I get to serve God today. I've got another whole day, 24 hours, that's a clean slate, that I can do something for God today and look for opportunities. And um, just, just how many times God brings those across our path. And uh, the joy that comes from that. And so the Bible says here that uh, when they obeyed God and all these things happened, uh, in verse, into verse number 17, I think the key phrase in verse 17, and there was very great gladness. And, um, you know, there's a lot of Christians that go around uh, with a frown on their face all the time. And if you ever talk to them, you just, you, you feel depressed almost when you get done. And then there's other Christians you get around and you're not around them two or three minutes and they have already been a blessing to your heart. You ever been that way? You you know what I'm talking about? And you know the people, you know who they are. And uh, there's some people I've gone to visit as a pastor that were going through some deep, deep valleys in their lives. And I went to try to be a help and an encouragement and cheer them. And I left there uh, just so convicted because they had been such a blessing to me and such an encouragement to me. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of people we ought to strive to be like. Uh, to be obedient, to follow the things of the Lord, to love this book with all our hearts. There was a dear friend of mine I've shared a couple times with. His name was Dale Landis. And uh, just the, the time that I got to spend with him as he uh, was near death's door. He was up in the hospital. And I remember the day I went up to visit him. I was trying to go up and see him every day and uh, that he was in there. And the, I remember the day that I went up to see him. And uh, tears began to come down his face. And uh, I said, Brother Dale, is there anything I can do for you? And I thought he was going to say, well, can you help look after my family? Or can you help uh, do something at the church? He was a pastor at another church there in town. And and I thought he was going to ask me some great thing. And uh, you know what broke his heart? He said, Brother Greg, I can't read my Bible anymore. Not able to. And I mean, he began to weep. I thought, here's a man that loves the Word of God so much that when he couldn't read it, it was one of the great disappointments of his life. You know, there are times we go through an entire day and don't read the Word of God, and it doesn't even phase us sometimes. That we would have a love for God's Word. That we would cherish it. That it would be something that was a great joy to us, a great treasure to us. And any time that we're not able to read it, It ought to be something that disappoints us. Something that breaks our hearts. And uh, so these folks were knowing the Word of God. They heard it read. And then the Bible says they obeyed it. They did that. And there was very great gladness. And also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly, according unto the manner. And so for seven days... They come and assemble themselves together. And uh, by the way, I think that any time you can get a steady diet of God's Word, you ought to take advantage of it. If it's possible to do, uh, It. I saw in, uh, I think it was Brother Kenny the other day, and, and several folks I've talked to over the years that have expressed this, that oftentimes after we go through a period of uh, uh, continuous preaching, uh, maybe throughout the day, several days in a row, or maybe a week at a time, and four or five services a day sometimes you get through that week and you're 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 tired you're physically weary but you come back just overflowing with things in your heart and the first day that you're not there it seems like boy I'm missing that I'm missing the preaching I'm missing the this, the reading of God's word and uh, you know the more we get into a steady diet of God's word and you know I preached I think it was last Wednesday night on the idea that we need to saturate ourselves with the Word of God. Uh, it, needs to, it needs to be the thing that we think on throughout the day. It needs to be the thing that we meditate upon. It needs to be the thing that we love and cherish. And, and that there ought not be, I, I think there's a good uh, habit-forming uh, idea of having a, time, a set time to read the Bible. And I've heard people say, well, if you don't make the time and set it aside, then you won't do it. And I understand that. But our Bible reading ought not ever just get into a place where that's our time for reading the Bible. We ought to be able to come to the Bible every time we can have opportunity to do it. Uh, Every time that we can think about it, uh, that we can come to the Bible. I've got a few minutes here. I think I'll read my Bible some more. And to love it that much and to cherish it that much. Um, I'm on a, a, I I hate to call it a diet, but I've changed the way that I live as far as my eating habits are concerned. And uh, before I changed these things, um, I would eat a meal and then come home and be busy doing something. then I'd take a break and I'd think, you know, I'm going to go in there and get me a a, a cup of yogurt. Or I'm going to go in there and get me a, a, a Big Mac and cheese and french fries or something, you know. And then I'd do a little more work and I'd have another break and I'd think, you know... I'm going to go in there and get me a big old cheese pizza with sausage and pepperoni, whatever it was. You know, I was always, I thought, because I loved eating, I loved it. And there were times that I ate that I wasn't hungry, but I wanted to to eat because I enjoyed it so much. Any of you ever done that before? I've been there. Uh, And then Miss Penny makes something like a pumpkin cheesecake or something like that, and then it just really messes you up. Why is it that, Physically, when we love those kind of things, we just even when we're not hungry, we'll eat them. And yet, sometimes spiritually, when we can feast on God's Word, uh, we we maybe just don't have that hunger and that thirst like we are. We all be able to come to God's Word just because we love it, because we enjoy it. it. It it's it's something that is helpful to us. It's refreshing. And uh, so uh, they uh, come and they meet every day of the week. They have a steady diet of this. And that brings us to chapter number 9. Now, on the 20 and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled uh, with fasting and with sackcloth and earth uh, upon them. Now, I want to show the contrast here between chapter 8 and chapter 9. Chapter 8, uh, the book of the law is read, and the people are told, don't, don't, don't fast, don't. Sorrow, right now, you need to rejoice. This is something God's doing in your life, and so we see a vast contrast here now. And as we get to chapter number nine, because now we find them after this this time of uh, seven days. Now we find them uh, in sackcloth and with earth on their heads and uh, and upon them and fasting, and uh, we're going to see why here in just a moment. We find one of the great prayers of confession. I think one of the greatest prayers of confession. That you'll find in Scripture is found here in Nehemiah chapter number 9. Wonderful, wonderful pattern, I think, that is shown to us by example of a true prayer of confession of things. And uh, as we get to chapter number, uh, verse number 2, the Bible says, And the seed of Israel, notice this, separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Now I see two things happening. In verse number 1 and verse number 2. Number 1, I see a humility taking place. A humility taking place. Now, I'm not going to expound on that right now because we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes as we get further into the chapter. Uh, So I'm going to move on to the second thing I see, which is in verse number 2. And that is, there is a separation that takes place. There is a separation that takes place. So there's humility that, that happens when they begin to see some things in their lives. They are humbled by that. Also, when they begin to see God in some some ways, there is a humility in that as well. And by the way, I think it takes both in our lives to see God the way that he really is and to see ourselves the way that we really are. I think we need to understand both of those. The only only way that we can know that is by looking into Scripture because it will illuminate both of those to us. It will show us who God is and it will show us who we are. The Bible tells us in the book of James that it is the, uh, like looking into a glass. It's the perfect law of liberty that helps us to see what manner of men we are. And so the Bible is able to accomplish both of these things that we find in verse number 1 and in verse number 2. Because there is humility and there is a separation from, now they can begin their confession. Now, notice the pattern here in uh, Nehemiah chapter number 9. I was talking with somebody just recently. Sometimes we get these this, this uh, priority list out of order. We, uh, we go from humility, maybe, or, or perhaps we don't even have humility. Pardon me if I'm not burning up right uh, We go from uh, having humility, perhaps, straight to confession. But notice the pattern that is here. They begin with humility in verse number 9, or verse number 1 of chapter 9. Then the very next thing the Bible says, in the seed of Israel, what? separated themselves from all strangers. Can I tell you this? It is difficult to confess and I would go so far as to say it's almost impossible to confess if we don't separate ourselves from the thing we're confessing. We cannot just continue in it and just say well God will forgive, God will forgive. God is merciful, yes. God is long-suffering, yes. And God will forgive Yes. But in our hearts, Paul said it best, I think, in Romans chapter number 6, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, we see a wonderful pattern of getting to the place of confession. Humility, separation from what it is that is causing this. And then confession. (laughs) Confession. It's hard to confess when you're doing the very thing you're confessing at the moment you're confessing. Or when you're planning on doing the very thing that you're confessing in a short while. It's amazing to me how many times we know this up here and we can point to other people and say, Boy, that happens. That happens. Boy, look at that. They're confessing and they're still doing it. Until I begin to look at my heart. And then I begin to see, boy, there's some things I've brought to the Lord and confessed. The truth is, I haven't separated. I haven't separated. I think there's a valuable principle of Scripture taught here that oftentimes when we read through this, we miss it as we go through. That there was separation before confession. Notice what it says here. The Bible says, And the seed of Israel separated themselves. And I want you to notice this. From There's a three-letter word here. What? All strangers. You know what one of the great travesties of the Christian life is? Even Christians that are separated is that we do it slightly. We do it partially. We separate from the things that we think are the really bad things. But the things that we don't think are all that bad, we don't separate from those. It's amazing to me, I've said it so often before, you know the worst sin in the world is the sin that somebody else has? That's, That's human nature. The sins that somebody else has are the worst sins of the world. You know why that is? Because we never think our sin is the worst. If we would look at our sin and say, woe is me, I, I'm, I'm a sinner, I think there'd be a big difference in, in this separation thing. I think it would help with our confession, our relationship with God. By the way, this confession is not for the purpose of getting more saved or losing salvation and getting it again. It's dealing with our relationship with God, our walk with God. Uh, the Bible tells us that if we're Uh, if if we've come to the Lord, that we're to, the Bible uses this phrase, that we're to walk in the Spirit. And uh, now that we're in the Spirit, we ought to walk in the Spirit and, and it ought to be part of our daily lives. It's interesting to me that the closer that you draw to the Lord, the more you're humbled by your own depravity. When we're in darkness, our sin is hid. The closer we get to the light, the more that darkness inside of us becomes illuminated. And the point of the finger comes right down to us. One of the great examples, I think, in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul did not, at the very beginning of his ministry, say, I am the chiefest of sinners. He was at the end of his ministry. And at the very end of his ministry, after God has grown him and caused him to become more of what he ought to be and the, the pressing toward the mark and the running the race that he did, becoming more and more like Christ as he went along, when he gets to the very end of his ministry, he doesn't say, uh, I used to be the chiefest of sinners and God saved me from that. He said, I am the chiefest Now, that doesn't mean that Paul got worse in his spiritual life. He grew in his spiritual life. What what was was Paul saying? Paul was saying, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I understand the depravity of my heart. So we find here in Nehemiah chapter number 9, verses 1 and 2, a pattern that I believe is a biblical pattern of confession. Number one, humility. Number two, separation. And number three, confession. As we get to the confession here in verse number... Uh, 2 the Bible says uh, that the seed of Israel separated themselves not just from part of the strangers, not just from some of the strangers but from all of the strangers Can I tell you that's one of the hard things in our life to give up we we tend to give God the parts of our lives that we're comfortable giving him, but there are some things we say God I don't want to give that one up and by the way, if you're sitting there saying, well, you may have that problem, Pastor, but I don't, we all have it. We all have those areas. Your pastor has those areas. Sad to say, and it ought to mortify our hearts. It ought to be something that saddens us and causes us to have the response that these people have. The response of these people was they saw this. When they drew closer to the Lord, And they saw God for who He was in chapter number 8. They get to chapter number 9 and they realize with God who He is, well, what does that make me? Now I'm going to sit and fast. I'm going to put on sackcloth. I'm going to put earth on. I'm going to have a spirit of humility. Because of that humility, that brokenness, that contrite spirit, I'm going to forsake I'm going to separate myself from the things that are causing me to depart from the Lord. And now I'm going to make my confession. I think one of the great prayers of confession is found in chapter 9. And we are out of time to start getting into that. But I'm, I'm looking forward to next Sunday morning if God has not come back to get us by then. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. And I please, if there's any way possible, don't miss next Sunday morning, Sunday school. I think one of the great, great teaching moments when it comes to our personal walk with God and our confession to Him we will find as we get through the rest of this chapter and chapter number 9. So please try unless you're just absolutely providentially hindered uh, do your best to try to be here next Sunday morning. Okay? all right. let's stand together and be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word and Father, we didn't make it very far today, but Lord, there's so many valuable, valuable truths that are found in just these few verses. I pray that you'd help to guide and direct our steps. Lord, draw us closer to you. Help our hearts to be one that that, that seek after you, that love you.